Well, all I can say, Easter's probably a good time to talk about the supernatural. What do you think? Um, we had a prophetic conference, and I think it was our ninth one. And personally, I think it might have been the best one we've ever had. Tiffany and the worship team were just astonishing. It's like, I don't know how to say it, God just showed up on the worship team. I mean, it was amazing. And I had the privilege of speaking Friday night and Saturday morning, and a number of you are here Friday night. And the reason I allude to that is, although they're standalone messages, they're really a series. And I felt like, to just talk about the miraculous, and so the first night I started in Luke 4 and talked about cultivating the miraculous and talked about Jesus going to his hometown, the one place in the world that should have been a miracle center. I mean, the angel came to his mama there. Gabriel came to his daddy there. He grew up there. They'd watched this unusual, spiritually precocious kid growing up. How many of you had only been one perfect kid? There were days I wish one of mine would have been that. <laughs> growing up there, they knew what happened at 12. They knew the stories, and when Jesus came and stood in the synagogue and said, Isaiah's been fulfilled, they hushed, they saw the grace. But then unbelief began to come up, and Jesus said this. This is exactly like the time in Scripture when there was so much unbelief in Israel. Elijah was sent to a pagan land to touch a widow. This reminds me of the time in Israel, Jesus said. There were thousands of lepers but not one of them got healed, but a pagan did from the land of their oppressors. And I tracked that down and began to ask, what attracts God to us for the miraculous? And then Saturday morning, I talked about contending for a miracle. And I examined what happened in the life of Elijah and Elisha. You know, what's interesting. There are only three people raised from the dead in the Old Testament, at least recorded. One with Elijah, was the first ever recorded in the Bible. The second was with Elisha, and after he was dead, I don't know how long it had been, I mean, his old tomb was sitting there. They were having a funeral, and they were attacked by the enemy, so they threw, they threw the corpse to hide it in his tomb and bury him later. Wouldn't you know it, God raised him from the dead. That would not be a bad tomb to go to. Um, do I think that ever happened again? We don't know. Surely if that kept on, more people would, I sure would have tried at least once. But I'll tell you, Jesus really is alive. When I was in Jerusalem, I went to what I thought really was where he was raised from the dead. You know, the Catholics have one, the Protestants have one, everyone has a site. And I went, no one was there. I thought, I'm going to sit right down in here and see what I feel. You know what I felt? Nothing but cold and hard. But anyway, he's risen. Now, I want to give you part three this morning and I'm going to entitle it, Creating Space for the Miraculous. Now turn with me into, we'll start in 1 Kings chapter 17. And I want to examine the first two people raised from the dead. Both were children. One was the son of an impoverished widow. The other was the son of a very wealthy woman who had been barren until the prophet came into her life. I want to examine that. And it's interesting to note, you've got a pagan woman, you've got an Israelite woman, you've got a poor woman, you've got 
a rich woman, you've got a widow, you've got a married woman, but they have one unique thing in common. They both invited the prophet to stay with them. Despite the differences in their demography, despite the differences in their background, they both made room in their home. One in her poverty, one in her wealth, both miraculous. And when they made room for one Elijah and two Elisha, that brought them into a miraculous period of time. Now I'm going to take a moment and just examine these two stories First, very quickly, the second more in detail. So in 2 Kings, uh, 1 Kings, pardon me, 17, you know, Elijah basically prophesied a drought is God's judgment. It wasn't going to rain for three and a half years. And God had hidden him by a brook, and wouldn't you know it, he had unclean birds feeding his servant, ravens. We're supposed to eat those. Ravens bringing bread every day. And finally, God says, Elijah, the water is running out, but I've got good news for you. Elijah, what is it? He goes, I've asked a widow to provide for you. Elijah's thinking, gosh, she's got to be rich. I can hardly wait. I'm sick of these old birds bringing me this food. And he goes, where am I going? Surely I'm going to Judea where they love prophets. God says, well, not exactly. He said, you're going to Zarephath in Zidon. Now that was the heart of Jezebel's kingdom. That was the heart of darkness and Baalism. So finally, Elijah being obedient, he picks up his stuff and he heads off to Zarephath. And the Bible says when he came to the town gate, he's looking maybe for the most prosperous widow. Surely God knows what I need. His servant's tired. I've been living on this camping trip. I need help. And he looks in and it says there was a widow there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink. As she was going to get it, he called and he said, by the way, bring me a piece of bread. The minute he looks at her, he just knows she broke. She broke. He goes, you got to be kidding me. The ravens are looking a lot better. I mean, she's enfeebled. She's going to say herself, we're going to die in the next day. I mean, she's on her last legs, picking up a few sticks, and the Holy Spirit comes on him and says, there's your provision. I'm sure he had to go, okay, say that one more time. There's your provision. He says, let me start simple. How about a glass of water? So she slowly makes her way toward the well to get him a glass of water. He says, I'm going to try it again. He goes, how about, how about a little bit of bread? And here's her answer. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. No bread left in my home. I've got a handful of flour and a bit of oil in a jug. And I'm gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal so my son and I can eat, then die. Nothing. Bread, of course, in the Bible symbolizes the bread of life, the bread of heaven. Oil, we know, symbolizes anointing. She's on her last legs feeling like, I don't have anything I need for a miracle. Some of you have come in that way. If I was to ask you anything, you said, you'd say, Pastor, spiritually speaking, I'm bad out of oil. I'm bad out of bread. I've got no faith. I feel like I'm down.
to my last bit of strength, my last moment in my marriage, my last moment. One of you, depression hit you so hard this week. You went from thinking about suicide to honestly planning it for a moment. And you're really afraid. It's a miracle you came. You didn't even set your clock. And you're here. You say, Pastor, I'm just out of it. I'm close to dying. What's God's answer? This is what's so phenomenal. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. I'm telling you, wherever you are this morning, whatever you're facing, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what you're facing and you're worried. Man, I'm about to lose my job. I can feel it. We're getting ready to merge, Pastor. I don't know what's going to happen to me. Pastor, I've lost track of my son. He's not even called home. I'm so frightened. Pastor, I don't know what to do. There's this pain in my heart. I've already had two different heart things. I'm afraid to even go back. Don't be afraid. Go home. And do as you said, make that meal, but one little thing. Make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. God says, give me the crumb you have left today. Forget your money. Give me that crumb of faith. Give me that crumb of hope. She knew if I make him bread, there's none for me. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day it rains. Say, Pastor, what do I do? Give him that last crumb of faith, that last crumb of hope, and take a step to praise him, to trust him, to open up. She's walking away and she realizes it's not faith, it's desperation. What's one more day matter? Die a day earlier? Give him my last meal? Just maybe at the thought this might be God. I'll do it. There are times God's purely just drawn to human need. There's times, beloved, where we have absolutely no faith. You know what the Lord reminded me of the other day? I was praying in great pain. God said, you know something, son? There's something higher than your faith. What is it? He said, son, there's something more important to me than all your disciplines in your prayer life. I said, what is it? My mercy. He said, Jim, when's the last time you just asked for mercy? God is merciful. Jesus suffered every possible way. Your pain is not theoretical to the Godhead. They're merciful. And I see the eye of God looking into the gate of your life this morning, saying, give me that last crumb. Take you as you are. You're coming out of that impoverished death in your life into a miraculous season. She did it. And when she fed him, she just decided, move in. Something happened to her. She went from the most impoverished, broken widow to the place where the prophet lived. He moved in. Every day, 
She was in the presence. See, in those days, believers didn't have the Holy Spirit. Prophets were even, they kind of, they really represented God in a unique way that they don't today. And every day she was there. And all of a sudden, the Bible said, her boy got really sick. Really sick. At this point, she didn't know anyone who'd had a kid healed. She knew no, and it was not even in her, her framework that God could raise the dead. Finally, he stopped breathing, and she said to Elijah, I figured it. I knew you had something against me. You came to remind me of my sin. Give me your son. I hear God saying today, give me your marriage. Give me your depression. Give me your pain. Give me that child that's straight away. Give it to me. Give me your son. Now you understand, Elijah had never raised the dead. There was no place, at least it's recorded, in the Torah. Moses was a miracle worker, but he's never recorded as raising the dead. But Elijah, not really known for his empathy and compassion, if you read his story, had lived with her and seen that little boy and maybe dawdled him on his knee and his heart was moved. He took him from her arms and carried him to that one little place in the house where he prayed. It was his little room. He threw him on his bed and personalized it. He cried out, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with? Prayed. And for the first and only time in his ministry that's recorded, the child lived. Put it in the arms of the woman. You say, my marriage dead, pastor. My child's dead to me. There's a place in my body dead. Pastor, there's a dead spot in my heart. I don't know what to do. The doctors tell me Bypass alone, it's just dead. There's a dead place in my, in my flesh, Pastor. I've got this, this bump that's come back. I'm so afraid. Resurrection, Trump's death. If God could bring his resurrection power to a pagan woman in a darkened land who felt she was just a sinner, what might he do for you? on the other side of Calvary, with the Old and the New Testament, sitting in a church filled with faith, people that love you. God's eyes on you. He's looking through the gate. He's seeing you picking up sticks and trying to make it. And maybe in the natural, people look at you and say, they've got it made, they're powerful, they have money. But God looks beyond that. Now let's look at the second story. The first story is miraculous because an impoverished window became the center of what God was doing in the earth. The second story is equally miraculous because a wealthy woman still hungered for God. Jesus himself said, it's harder for an affluent man or woman to need my kingdom than it is for a camel to get through a little small gate within a gate. When you come to 2 Kings 4, you're going to find 
the second person in all of recorded biblical history raised from the dead. She was wealthy. The Bible says so in verse 8 of 2 Kings 4. She was a well-to-do woman. But she was an unusual well-to-do woman. And evidently, time doesn't permit to read the whole story. She and her husband, and in those days, Elisha, this is the spiritual son of Elijah. He's never raised a dead person. There's a miraculous tint to his ministry already. And they're pretty affluent. And from time to time, when he's come through maybe on the Sabbath or one of the the great feasts to preach, they've invited him for dinner and she's come. In fact, the Bible says she's urged him to stay for a meal. I mean, God is always urging us. It shocks him when someone urges him. Stay with me. Be with me. Come with me. Later, when she builds this place for Elisha, he says, man, this woman has got a lot of trouble for us. You know what God told me? He said, Jim, I'm used to people coming to me in trouble, but rarely do I find someone who will trouble themselves for me. She told her husband, she said, honey, I can't take it anymore. He goes, what's wrong, baby? We're rich. I can't. I'm not satisfied with that prophet visiting us. When he comes in our home, I feel something the money can't buy. There's something different. He carries this presence. She said, honey, I know it's crazy. I know we got this big home, but I want to expand it. He goes, woman, why? Why? We don't have any kids. She goes, I want to expand it. And on the very top of our house is our highest priority. I want to build a room. Build a room for who? I want to build a room for God and his prophet. He goes, baby, you don't have any promises. By the way, you and I have a lot of promises. Has he ever like told you? She goes, no. I just can't live being visited by God anymore. I want him to live here with me. I'm not satisfied, honey, just seeing God on the Sabbath day. I'm not satisfied, baby, just knowing him two or three festivals. Like when we build that little booth in the Feast of Tabernacles, we live out in the yard, I feel something. Then I want to feel all year around. And I know I don't have a promise, but I've got this thing in me. If I could just give him a little more time, just create a little bit more space, maybe the next time he comes for dinner, he'll stay. She didn't have all the promises we have, draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. I'm standing at the door and knocking open up. Nothing. I mean, maybe she'd heard Elijah lived with a widow. I don't know if that story ever got around the community orally in those days. Husband said, oh, oh, okay, baby. He's thinking, my God, what's she going to want next? And you find out her face is amazing. Her husband doesn't have any. So he builds this room. And she goes to all kinds of trouble to find out. What's he like? What's he need? What's he eat? Like, I'm, this, is a, this woman's got all the details. When's the last time we even thought about what God might need? Or what God likes? Somehow we feel God will show up like a genie every time we run, we read our Bible. It doesn't work that way. God says, listen, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool, but where will my resting place be? Where is a house built just for me, just the way I like it? I long to rest. Jesus said the Son of Man had nowhere to rest his head. Birds had nests, foxes have caves. I was homeless. Other than Mary and Martha from time to time and their brother. We don't know how many times the prophet came, but 
One time she said, Elisha, you're looking a little tired. My husband and I have built a little room. You want a nap? Maybe it was the sixth or seventh time she asked him. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But he looked at his servant. God says, you know, I am a little tired. And he got up, went up them stairs. I guarantee you, tears flecked her her cheek. She looked looked at her husband. Husband's incredulous. This is the most famous man in the nation. Everybody's afraid of him. I mean, the man that had mentored him called fire and humanness routinely. He was not so cranky. Husband goes, baby, you were right. She's sitting there. She can feel that presence even when he leaves. There's some people God just hangs around a lot. Even when they go, you can feel the traces of it. And he goes upstairs and she's just overcome. You see, she doesn't want anything. She never even asked to go up there. She never even asked for a deeper conversation. She just feels, if I could make him at home, if he come to my house like I feel him in that temple, if he come to my house like I feel him in that feast day, and all of a sudden she hears a voice, a Shunammite. Bible didn't give us her name. Come up. She goes, honey. That, that baby, you going up, I'll stay back down here and hold the thing down. She's going up those stairs. You build right, you can always go up. Trust me. You make that space for God. You build that devotional life. You open your life. She's going up. And goes, and because he said, this woman got a lot of trouble from me, Gehazi. Like, see if we can do her a favor. When God... Find someone, some human that will go to trouble for him like Abraham did in Genesis 18. Like Mary and Martha did. Unstoppable. Gaza goes, what can we do for you? She goes, nothing. He goes, listen, you know, he has a lot of clout politically. You need a favor from the king. This is one big mistake she made. She goes, no, I'm pretty politically connected myself. I'm fine. A few chapters later, you find out she's in real trouble, and they go to the king for her and get her land back. That's another story. Be careful. If ever God says you need something, you do. Trust me. All right. <laughs> Gehazi turns to her and says, hey, her husband's really old. She's never been able to bear him a son, probably barren, no other children to mention. Come to the door. She stands in the door. And when you touch that presence up in your house, everything you've done to get is worth it. points at her, raises up off that bed, his servant's there. He says, woman, this time, next year, you hold a son. Don't deceive me. She can't believe it. Many people stop believing because they hurt, not because they unbelieve. Some of you have stopped believing for a thing because it hurts too bad. Get ready. You've given up hope because hope hurts. This time next year. She's, she's almost, you can almost get spiritually traumatized sometimes. She's just in shock. The Bible says, nevertheless, in other words, despite all her unbelief, it didn't matter. Like Sarah, who laughed at God. Twelve months later, she had a boy. What did both these women have in common? Not much faith. Desire. Need. 
Well, the miracle grew up. Let's go a little farther in the story that I'm going to pray for you. The miracle grew up. The Bible says later in that chapter, the little boy was just old enough to reap with his daddy. It was his first day out in the field. Man, your miracle's just reaping. Your kid's growing up. The thing you've believed for seems like it's going to come to pass. And he screams, Daddy, my head. Did it start with heat stroke? We don't know. Of course, the father was spiritually inept. Get his mama quick. The Bible says she held her dream till noon. Died. Dream, hope, pain. But all of a sudden she said, uh-uh. Honey, saddle a donkey. Why, baby? Saddle it. Why? I'm going to the prophet. Honey, it ain't Sunday. They don't have any services at Grace Covenant right now. Honey, saddle the donkey. Oh, that woman, okay, saddle the donkey. Why, I mean, why bother God out again his day at work? God didn't have office hours today. You know where she takes that little boy? She remembers. When that prophet spoke to me, he was in a bed in that room. She walked up them stairs, Karen, that little five, six-year-old boy. This is where you spoke to me. We built this place for you. This is what you said. And the Bible said she laid him dead on the bed where God had spoken. She jumped on that donkey and fled toward Elisha. Why did I get a prophecy, Pastor? Why isn't there like a word of knowledge for me? Elijah said, the Lord is hidden from me. What's wrong with her? Why? Because as it comes a time, you've got to own it. You've got to ask. You've got to let your pain out. She said, why did you deceive me? I told you not to get my hopes up. He said, Gehazi, take my rod. Boy's dead. Go lay it on him. She knew better. She said, uh-uh. I appreciate all your servants doing things, but I'm holding on to you. The fact got back home, Gehazi gave up. Elisha said, wait down here. Gehazi, you ain't much help. Wait with her. <laughs> he went up the stairs. One of the most astonishing stories in Scripture. He prayed and prayed. And the Bible said he laid on the boy. It really means he crouched over the boy, the same position Elijah had used on Mount Carmel to pray. It was a pregnancy position. He cried out in prayer, cried out in prayer. Boy got warm, didn't quit, got off the ground, prayed, cried out in prayer, came back. Who will make room for God in your life, your schedule? Two women, one poor, one rich, one in a pagan land, one in the land of Israel, the chosen people of God. One in unbelief, God heard her cry. The other faith, God drawn to what she built. Yet for her miracle, she could hardly believe. What did these two so very different women have in common? They both invited God and his servant to live with them. We marvel at the story of the centurion. Jesus hadn't found faith in all of Israel. But it's a sad story to me. He got a healed servant, but Jesus asked to come home with him. 
He is too ashamed. Who wants to bring God home today? Who wants to create space? Open up their life. Open up their family. You'll be, you'll be creating space for God here at Grace Covenant even more. If you say today, I just need, I need this. I want to create space for this miraculous God. Put your hand up and wave at me right now. If your hand's up, just stand your feet. I'm going to pray for you. It's most of you. Just stand up. I gave some kind of specific words of knowledge, too, about depression and different things. When I was saying those different describing situations, if any of those were yours, can you raise your hand like this? I see those hands. If someone's hands up around you, put your hand on them while we're doing this, please. Keep your hands up. Don't be embarrassed. Holy Spirit, I thank you for this, my family. There's not just another church to me. Brett and Cynthia, my lifetime covenant friends, Jim and Angie. And now, Holy Spirit, help us to make room for you seven days a week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You're looking in the gate at our spiritual impoverishment. We give you the last crumb, the last bit of hope, the last bit of faith. And like the Shunammite, many of us in the natural, we've just been blessed, but we don't want to just see you on Sunday at GCC or slip down on Wednesday night or go to a class. No. Come home with us, God. Find a resting place for us, God. Come home with us, God. We need your presence. We need your miracle touch. Money cannot satisfy. Status is fleeing. I thank you for this, your people. Might you inhabit their praise and their space at a new level.